Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the Mortal Kombat! And Where was I, the Mortal Kombat? That was, was pretty no good. Mortal that, was, Kombat. that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> I am Austin Hayden, and I am joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We have Raymond. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And coming back after a couple weeks' absence, we have Ryan. What up, film fans? Excited to talk to you about MK. Yeah, and what, what a film to bring Ryan back in for, right? It is the uh, streaming smash hit that everybody's talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about the mm-hmm. reboot of Mortal Kombat. It's directed by Simon McQuoid in his feature directorial debut, and it stars... Louis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson, McCod Brooks, Ludi Lin, Chin Han, and a bunch of others. Um, let's go around and let's get some first impressions. We'll jump right into this here. Uh, what was it like the first time you saw it? Have you watched it on repeated viewings? Let's, let's start with Ryan, welcoming him back to the show. Ryan, what Thank were your you. first impressions on, on the reboot of Mortal Kombat? Well, full disclosure, I, uh, yes, I did not watch it. Did you watch this this at one and a half speed is the real question. No, 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 no. I watched it at full speed, but I, um, I had never seen the original Mortal Kombat film, right? So everyone, I think a lot of people are comparing and contrasting, uh, between the two. I didn't have that comparison. So I was going in fresh on, and I played the video game, obviously. I'm more of a street fighter man, I'd say. Same. Uh, you know, no big deal, but, uh, but I have grown to love the shit out of the Mortal Kombat video game cutscenes, just like watching to see how weird and gross and fucked up the, the murders can get. That's always fun. <laughs> However, the so I, I went into this movie fresh. Thinking about Mortal um, Kombat as a murder simulator is very fun to me. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, the people that work on those films have to be psychopaths. Well, if you talk to like, remember Tipper Gore and all of them in the censorship controversies, there was a big controversy about that. I remember in, yeah. the, in the 90s, right? That, uh, that it was like super violent and stuff like that. So it was a murder simulator in their mind. Okay, yeah, but that was, it, that was nothing compared to what the Mortal Kombats are today. They have amped <laughs> up to such an insane degree. If you haven't played the last couple of Mortal Kombats, it is, it, is so, it is like just the imagination it takes to come up with the ways that they murder people. I, I'm very impressed with. Anyway, all this is to say, I went to the movie very fresh, and I liked it pretty good. B plus. A lot of people, uh, w- w- I was amazed. Uh, I had a lot of people telling me that they loved the shit out of it before I saw it. I had a lot of people saying that they hated the shit out of it, but that I should see it, which is a sign. Mm. I, I like that. And so it seemed to be uh, very hot or cold. You either loved it or hated it. And I definitely am in the, I don't think I loved it, but I definitely liked it a lot. Like I, I thought it was a, a fun, you know. I would J- Jared, the wisecrack founder, Jared even has it was like, is that even a movie? I think he wrote on Facebook or something. And yeah, I kind of agree. Like, like it's, the the move the definition of movie was stretched here, but it was I had, <laughs> whatever it was. I had fun watching it. What did y'all think? Sorry, I rambled. Raymond, what do you think, brother? Uh, yeah, I um. Like many folks a few weeks ago, flocked to uh, Home Box Office Max to see what all the buzz was about with this uh, new <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Uh, my girlfriend's a big fan of uh, action movies, so we figured this would be a fun one to just kind of put on in the background while we were eating dinner, and uh, that's pretty much what we did, and I think for what it was, it was fun. That opening sequence between uh, 
Sub-Zero and Scorpion is, uh, is really well choreographed. I think it's well realized. Um, and it's an interesting way or intriguing way to sort of bring folks into this universe. And then after that, the movie kind of settled in to what I had more or less expected it to be, which is, mm. you know, a little bit of dialogue here, uh, mostly to set up the next fight. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of it, I was just kind of like sitting scrolling twitter on my laptop uh what? checking emails that's worse than going like on that. one one and a half speed yeah but i wasn't planning on doing a podcast about this movie i was yeah. I, I was just planning on uh listening to it until someone started to get their ass beat and then i would pay uh closer attention for the two to three minutes that that was happening and then i would uh you know just go back to having it on in the background and like i said it was uh it, it was absolutely fine for what i had anticipated it uh distracted me from the fact that i was gonna die for two hours and uh <laughs> i basically forgot about it as soon as the credits rolled and didn't think about it once until we found out that we had to do it on the podcast so did you rewatch it no god no no absolutely not <laughs> like i feel like i got it i got the gist you know i There's, got it a guy in blue and a guy in yellow who've spent centuries beating the shit out of each other i mean it's all there you know you get what's on the box i will say i like i like some of the stuff i'm not i'm not you know trying to derite it or anything like i said i think for what the movie is trying to do it more or less accomplishes it it's it's a fun actioner there are some really great visualizations of the fatalities from the video game um you know the guy throws his hat in the sand and pushes a body through it like a buzzsaw. And I just remember thinking that was awesome. like, yeah, why can't Captain America do that in the Marvel movies? That would be so much more interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's some cool, fun action. Um, you know, some, some nifty fatalities. I guess the big question I had coming away from this is like, this fucking hard R-rated movie being made for like this weird new demographic of you know, adult babies like us who now have kids of their own and want to sit down and, uh-huh. you know, watch a, 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 a version of this, this movie that they grew up with and just kind of enjoy it. And it's weird because there's, there's a lot of weird kind of comedic aspects with, uh, with Kano that seem tailored for a younger audience, but the violence is so aggressive in the movie that it is like, I'm, uh, it, it's so funny to see them try to make like a Marvel style four quadrant pleaser out of the most violent video yeah. game ever made, or at least for its time. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. And uh, that's all I have to say about it. Yeah. So my experience was, as I put it on, not having much hope for it. And I put my, my, these headphones that I'm wearing now, my beats on, right? And I set up my computer on my bed and I was cleaning my room and I figured, okay, I'm going to just kind of clean the room and do my stuff. And then, you know, like I'll pay attention, whatever as it's going on. And honestly, the opening scene, I stopped everything I was doing and I just like sat on my bed and I was just engrossed. I loved it. I thought this opening scene, I was like, man. And then I tweeted and I said, dude, this film rips. I thought the, the opening scene was so cool. And then the rest of the film happened. And, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I was like, God Flawless damn it. victory, huh? I was like, God damn it. Can we just go back to that world, 17th century Japan, please? Like, I would much rather just stay in that world. I get it. That's not the story. They have to get into the tournament aspect. I thought maybe they were going to do, like, some cool narrative 
story like that was going to be tied to like like a prequel almost or or maybe that somehow they were going to bring yeah. us into this world and I was like oh man this is so freaking cool I was like I'm into this and they had a, a little bit of crouching tiger kind of you know the guy flying into the trees and so it was kind of supernatural and elevated but still human and like blood lineage and feuding peoples and I was like man this is so cool and then I don't know what happened but they hired how do I say this kindly? I'll just say this. There are so many brilliant actors in this world. There are so many. They're, they, 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 I'm in acting classes with them. I just had a workshop Kano last was night. Cool. There, there are so many beautiful, talented, uh, diverse actors in this world. We should hire more of them is all I'm going to say. To tag what you were saying, Austin, there is... Um, the, there is an aspect of that that I think because they're you know I think they've already signed a lot of these actors to four other movies uh, I heard yes um, and if they're trying to go the universe route to me it would make sense that they would do like you were describing a full fledged kind of scorpion versus sub zero thing and you kind of hint at the the larger universe or you end with a big cliffhanger that you know. Uh, brings in a, another recognizable character that could be in that same timeline. I th I think that would kind of be a cool way to, uh, and unexpected way, especially to open up a, a Mortal Kombat universe is just focusing on one or two really iconic characters and uh, and just have a story built around them rather than having it just be a punch out, you know? Okay, before we well, get, I, I, real quick, before we get into this, we got to get into the synopsis. Let's keep these thoughts in mind. Uh, this is just first impressions and we, we'll kind of start tearing apart the film, talking about things we loved, etc. on the other side of this uh, synopsis here. But let me just give a recap real quick, okay? So basically the film opens in 17th century Japan where Bai Han and his crew slaughter the warriors of the rival ninja clan led by, led by Hanzo Hasashi. Hanzo is killed by Bai Han, which condemns his soul to the nether realm. But then Raiden shows up and saves Hanzo's infant daughter to ensure that the family line will continue. So then we fast forward to the present and we're introduced to Cole Young, a former MMA champion. He and his family are attacked by Baihan, who now goes by the name Sub-Zero, because Cole is part of the Earthrealm champions who are prophesied to defeat the Outworld in their deathmatch that's called Mortal Kombat. Before Cole and his family are killed by Sub-Zero, though, Jax rescues them and tells Cole to find Sonya Blade. So Cole's Cole tracks Blade down, and she explains that Cole wears the dragon mark, which destines him to be part of this centuries-long feud. Uh, with the help of Kano, then, they find Raiden's temple and are introduced to the current Earthrealm champions, Liu Kang and Kung Lao. The temple is then attacked by Outrealm or Outworld leader Shang Tsung and Sub-Zero, but Raiden fends him off. After this, the Earthrealm champions struggle to bond while also trying to unlock their unique special powers. Kano unlocks his ability to shoot a laser out of his eye. Cole, however, struggles to unlock his power, and Raiden reveals that Cole is a descendant of Hasashi. When uh, Cole's family are attacked, his arcana, that is his special power, becomes unlocked, which gives him a suit of armor and a set of tonfos, which are basically badass melee weapons. Cole then devises a plan to get all the Outworld champions into a single combat event. Raiden then gives Cole his great ancestor's kunai, while the Earthrealm and the Outer World champions fight. And then Sub-Zero kidnaps Cole's family to lure him into a one-on-one -on -one fight. But then when Cole's blood spills on the Kunai, Hanzo is released from the Netherrealm as a vengeful scorpion specter who uses the famous line, 
get over here, which was a really fun moment, and I was just waiting when he appeared. I was waiting for him to say it. I thought he was going to say it in the first scene, and he didn't. Did he? Maybe he did. I don't remember. But he definitely said it at this, at this culminating one, and it was kind of a fun, a fun little Easter egg moment that was realized. Anyway, Scorpion helps Cole defeat Sub-Zero, freeing Cole's family. But of course, Shang Tsung revo- uh, vows revenge, and Raiden begins plans to train new warriors for the next tournament. And then the film closes with Cole heading to Hollywood to track down the famous martial artist and movie star Johnny Cage, perfectly setting up a sequel. Cha-ching! All right, before we continue, I want to give a shout-out to this week's sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is the place to go if you're in need of premium stock assets. They have millions of high-quality video clips, audio tracks, and images that could help you to complete your student film, YouTube video, podcast, stream, etc., 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 whatever kind of creative medium that you're working on. With their affordable subscription options, you can choose the right plan for you, and if you're just working on a podcast and need a few sound bites or music tracks or anything like that, then you can just grab those sound bites and go. With their unlimited all-access plan, you can download as many things as you want from their library. The best part is that once you download an asset, it's yours to keep. Storyblocks is constantly adding to their library, so there are always new options to choose from. So check out everything in their library today by going to storyblocks.com wisecrack, or by clicking the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Okay, so let us get into the film here. Ryan, I cut you off before we went into the recap. What were you going to say? I was going to say that I, I I think that they did. I would argue that they did kind of uh, do what you guys said that they didn't do about the uh, setting it up with a kind of prequel because they obviously didn't have a Mortal Kombat tournament, which was the whole reason for being of this series or, or uh, in every game. So I think that they basically were like, we're going to introduce you to this new character, get you invested in him. Uh, we're going to meet all of our friends along the way that we know, uh, get a little bit backstory about each of them, get familiarized. And then in the second movie with Johnny Cage and our, and our main character, we're going to go to the actual tournament. And I think they've kind of set it up culture-wise uh, uh, perfect for that because everyone was super into this movie, or at least it was everyone I knew uh, was, seen, was watching it, whether they liked it or not. Yeah, it's definitely but, it's so, it's a marmite kind of film. People either friggin' love it or they friggin' hate it. Which, to be honest, in this day and age, kind of means well, at least they're talking about it, right? Right. What I would say uh, to to counter your point, Ryan, because I, I I have seen a lot of folks either complaining that there wasn't the tournament in it, or like you just said, it it's more of a prequel energy. But I think structurally, there's not a whole lot different than if the movie were just the tournament. You know, they they have all these like narrative pretenses to get them siloed off into one-on-one battles in these, you know, weird and uh, ethereal locations. Like, I don't think the, the tournament version of this movie would look all that much different. You know, if, if Raiden turned to the camera when he was spiriting them off to, to different realms so that they could fight each other one-on-one before teaming up against Sub-Zero and said like, and now it's time for the tournament. Like, it would be exactly the same, you know, it, 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 when, when I was talking about like, and not necessarily that, you know, my idea is any better, like I'm an idiot, but I, I just like the notion of zeroing in on, you know, 
one or two of these characters and just building a story around them and seeing how their powers interact with the world at large rather than having them have to come into conflict with other empowered beings. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, well, there's a real difficulty in taking a video game just in general and, and making it into a movie, but especially one that that isn't designed with a built-in narrative, right? Like, like they're, they're adapting The Last of Us, right? Which is a, an extremely narratival video game. So it just lends itself to being a series, right? Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be successful, but it seems to be much more that when I'm, when I'm playing The Last of Us, you know, that I'm engaged in almost a, a, a narrative experience, a narrative event. But when I'm playing Mortal Kombat, I don't play Mortal Kombat for the story. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't beefed that out in subsequent, in subsequent video games. They have. They've added more of story element. And, of course, there is always some sort of narrative. But it's centrally not a narrative driven story so that it's a real freaking difficulty to then be like okay how are we going to take um this game that is essentially about just these one-off battles of people fighting each other and how are we going to kind of create uh the 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 classical three-act story arc structure save the cat kind of thing how are we going to do it so that people can have the best of both worlds where they get the badass moments of combat but then at the same time we also give them a little bit of something that they can like hitch their wagon to you know but i think i think there's kind of a tell there austin because the the thing that people really well far be it for me to uh wonder what people really enjoy about the games you know i've never been like a fighting game fan but even I am familiar with these characters. I'm familiar with at least the major characters that have been around since the early iterations of the game. I'm familiar with their skill sets and their powers and things like that. And, you know, Marvel has spun out, whether you like them or not, they've spun out like 30 movies with distinct narratives, none of which are drawn specifically from one comic book or graphic novel. They kind of just take the the you know the design of the characters the overall gist of the characters they take their their powers and their skill sets and they build new narratives around them and i think especially because you know there is uh, another uh, film version of this one that i've heard a, a lot of folks prefer over the new one or you know at least people have some fondness for it um because that movie does a good job of giving you the tournament if you're gonna remake or readapt or reimagine this universe um, I don't know. It just it, it, maybe you can take those those characters and those skill sets and and build something new around them without having to to serve that notion. Or if you have like the 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 fifth movie in this you know five movie series that they're planning be the tournament movie, or the fourth and the fifth movie are built around the tournament, you could take your time and actually build out the universe and get you invested in these characters, other than just like. They're just the characters that we know, or the more essentially more just like designs that we know. Because I don't well, let's think I about know what gestures towards yeah. characterization the games actually make. Let's think about this though. What the brilliant thing they did is is kind of what Ryan said. You know, setting up for sequels, but also in an age of platform development, brand development, I can see a TV series based on the daughter that is rescued in 17th century Japan, where basically we just follow her now. And what is her life about? Like, 
living in the shadow of of the kind of slaughter and massacre of her family and how does she try to come to who she is and so we can get all of these possible spin-offs with these other characters you know you can have a whole thing about Cole Young maybe a TV series so i get what that's probably what they're trying to do right is develop all of these characters introduce them so that they can have all of these spokes branch off of this new hub that is the brand, right? But here's, I think those things will actually maybe be more interesting because then you have time to really develop like the singular character and then that character's, you know, weaknesses and overcoming of their struggles and all the typical things that draw us really to engaging uh, with like a compelling story. Whereas this one is much more like, I'm just going to fucking, we're just going to throw everything out there and then we're going to set it up and it's a slow burn. Like we're developing our assets here. Hold on, let's wait. Like, like, give us 10 years, and in 10 years, we'll look back and be like, oh, man, remember the reboot? Like, they really built their brand well, and now we have all these interesting properties. I think you're pretty much spot on there, yeah. <laughs> I think that they, they looked at this as one, the very first cog in a, in a very large machine, yeah. and we're, like, wanting to see one standalone movie. Um, I will, I'm glad you brought up Save the Cat earlier, because I, I, I think this movie... Uh, murder the cat would be a good <laughs> subtitle for this film because it's basically, I, I, in a way, I like how they didn't. It's just people trying to uh, be ruthless and say like we, you know, stop the tournament and stuff. They're cheating basically. This is a movie about cheaters and and murderers, and they're kind of setting up saying none of the, you can't trust any of these people. No, you know, no, no matter what they say, and so they did set up the world pretty good. I do. I wish there was a Mortal Kombat, sure, but I, I think that in the end, yeah. you're, you're right. In ten years, we're gonna look at that and go, "That was genius." The this first, is, this is, a, yeah. Film. This is like, this is like beta. This is like Mortal Kombat beta yeah. project. This is like a, a product launch, but it's like a real, like a slow rollout, you know, and. Right. Uh, and, and we'll wait and see. It's like Tesla. You know, the first one comes out, gets people kind of excited, but it's pretty faulty, but there's a lot of promise. We'll wait and see. Are these lithium batteries, are they going to change the world? What about the solar panels? Oh, SpaceX. Okay. Oh, there's something uh-huh. going on. That's kind of what we've got here, I think, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. This, this is one of those movies that, um, it, while fine for what it is, uh, I think it... Kind of, um, I watched that video that you dropped today, Austin, about uh, you know the the hubbub that uh, Martin Scorsese and Marvel fans always seem to find themselves in. That you know the film Twitter's Mortal Kombat uh, between those bodies, but there is something I think kind of presumptuous that always upsets me when. These movies come out. We'll, we'll, we'll chat for a second while they come out. He's referencing uh, the the most recent YouTube video that I dropped, where I talk about the controversy between uh, like Scorsese and Marvel fans, where Scorsese said that I Marvel. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I made a video where I said, "Remember when Scorsese said that uh, you know Disney Marvel films aren't cinema?" And he basically likened them to amusement parks or theme parks. Uh-huh. And so I made a video on my YouTube channel about that. And and there is something about the idea of of amusement that that gets derided by classic filmmakers right but here's the thing like just because something is amusing or something isn't cinema that doesn't mean that it's bad so like when jared said like this isn't a film right or that's not a movie like maybe maybe that's okay because maybe the landscape of what we call media is totally shifting so it's it's certainly visual media it's digital media but like is it a film and and then like what are the stakes of even having this debate right like why 
Like, is this just, at some point, is it just like a bunch of pretentious snobs that are like, ah, I'm trying to gatekeep on what art is? I don't know. I, no, I think that that whole thing is a big misunderstanding. I think Martin <laughs> Scorsese was just saying, we need both. It can't, we can't, all the movie theaters can't be 10, 10 showings of King Kong versus Godzilla. You got to have something that is moving the soul and uh, you know, some adult, you know, whatever the hell he says, you know, yes. how he says it. Uh, uh, so th- that's his whole point is just that you got to have room in the cinema for the kind of movies he makes. Uh, and, but also I think that there's something to be, you know, uh, said George Lucas and Steven Spielberg make the same point that essentially there's, there's gonna be like 40 movies made a year as opposed to 150 and you're going to have, and they're going to be big special effects like reason, you know, some reason that they're made on the big screen, either a Star Wars or a Marvel movie. And then every once in a while, it'll be some novel thing. Oh, yeah, let's go see this weird drama in the movie theater. That ain't going to happen that much. You're going to see that shit on HBO Max. Yeah, this is one of the points that I bring up in the video is that what happens is, is you get like this funneling system where everything bottlenecks and it just becomes the same, the same, the same. And this is, and it kind of crowds out the possibilities of making prestige dramas or other things because they're not going to get funding because they're not viewed as like viable financial assets, right? And that's my big concern. That's that's the concern is that it's going to crowd out that. But then here's the flip side to this, right? The flip side is, but with the proliferation of new platforms and streaming services like Netflix that are basically giving blank checks, or at least they were, maybe a little bit less now, but just giving kind of total creative freedom to creators and to, to producers and artists, there's going to be a lot more opportunity for things to be created in other forms. The question is, 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 the, is the age of cinema where you go to the movie theater to see the prestige drama or the indie darling or something like that, is that on its way out? And then what are the consequences of yes. that? Yeah, that's, that's the issue. I think it was just, uh, it, it sounds like you probably got into it a little bit when I was gone, but um, uh, one of the things that always reads as a little presumptuous to me is like, well, we're going to have, you know, five movies to figure out all this shit, so fuck it, we'll just kind of like do whatever in, in the first movie, we're going to take our time. So, and like, in, in my mind, one of the things that can sort of rest back that distinction of is it cinema, is it entertainment, is it amusement, like... What whatever you may think of uh, a Marvel movie or a Mortal Kombat movie is, like I I think one of the things that could uh, nudge it a little closer to the cinema column is just saying like okay we're gonna focus on giving this one movie a beginning a middle and an end and and getting a, a story on screen that people right, will get invested to, to, in. To piggyback off what I think what he's saying, uh, uh, I, I'm glad he said it because. I, I do think that Mortal Kombat is committing a sin of cinema by ending in such a kind of cliffhanger way because uh, uh, I'll never forget when Pirates of the Caribbean 2 ends and it's literally Johnny Depp or Captain Jack Sparrow and he's jumping into the giant fish's mouth and you think, oh shit, it's about to go down, but then it just is like, see you next summer. I wanted to kill Johnny Depp and everyone who made that movie because I'm like, you can't end a movie like that. You, As like, opposed like, as opposed to the first movie, which I think has a, a wonderful setup for, for future installments, it doesn't do anything specific. It just suggests that there's still adventure out there. There's still, you know. Yeah, but it ends before that. It end, The movie ends, and then it's like, oh, yeah, and now so we're pirates, and there's more out there. I mean, I'm cool with that kind of an ambiguous ending. That's fine. It's But it's, if it's like literally jumping into the fish's mouth, your main character, is he going to die? We'll see you next summer. I don't, like, fuck you. That should be illegal. Give me half of my ticket price back. <laughs> you know? and, and do you think that this film committed that sin with its cliffhanger? 
I think that now I'm so used to it. That's why I'm glad Raymond brought it up, that this is years later, 10 years later probably, that I'm so used to it of, of them building a franchise that when a thing like Mortal Kombat comes out and then it's a bunch of fighting and then them going, all right, you know, we're going to meet with Johnny Cage next. Nothing really good. We didn't even have a Mortal Kombat. You know there's going to be a Mortal Kombat in the sequels. Am I as mad as I was a while ago? Not as much, but it is kind of like you're not giving us a standalone movie, but you are giving us a lot of fighting, which is all I can ask from for a Mortal Kombat movie at the end of the day. A lot yeah. of cool CGI blood. Okay, Raymond, try to try to finish finish your thought here. We'll see if we can get you while we, we got the internet back on. What were you going to say? No, no, I um, I, I think I, uh, I covered the bases, and, and Ryan dovetailed quite nicely off of that. Um, I, I kind of share your sentiments about that, Ryan. Um, and I think awesome. that this okay. movie. Oh yeah, no, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. No, no, I was, I was just gonna say this. This movie doesn't quite commit the unforgivable sin of like, if you care about any of these characters, now they're dead, maybe, and come back later to find out they've all been signed for four movies. So who yeah. cares? But it, it, uh, it does have the very intriguing cliffhanger of there is another guy somewhere in the world who exists, and you have heard of his name. And that, to me, is just top-tier storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. All, 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 that's like just an Easter egg to keep people to keep people salivating for more. A person right? exists. Yeah, and that's right. All right. So before we continue, I do want to give a shout out to our other sponsor on this week's episode, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives, and where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. This is why Skillshare is so cool, because you can unleash your creativity and pursue passions right from the convenience of your home. Even when they're doing construction outside of your building like they currently are on my house, you can block all that out and you can do your art and find cool people to do it with. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people on topics such as iPhone photography, drone filming, editing, classes for improving productivity, video for Instagram, artivism, which is, you know, doing art and activism kind of melded together, etc., etc. So if you want to explore your creativity and connect with some cool people, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM. That's Skillshare.com slash SMTM, and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. And of course, there's also a link down in the show notes. All right, let's jump back into chatting about this film. So, okay, um, you know, we talked a little bit about like what makes a movie a movie and stuff like that. I want to share an anecdote. So, and this might be a generational thing, and I think there's something interesting here. So I, uh, I help some kids with some acting. They're, you know, little future Disney stars, right? And I help them and I, I teach them acting and I help them with self-tapes and auditions and stuff like that. And their parents are, um, you know, from L.A. and they're producers and stuff like that. And I was chatting with the dad the other day. His name's Peter. So we'll just say Peter. Uh, and Peter was basically saying that he doesn't understand the stuff that his boys are constantly consuming. You know, they're in like the 11 to 13 range. And he just doesn't get it. Like, they'll be like, Dad, Dad, check out this video. Or they laugh. And he's constantly like, uh, what do you like about this? Like, there's nothing there. And their response is always, oh, it's funny. Or the person's funny. Or, you know, it's something like that. But it's always an emotional response. It's always about affect, right? And Peter and I were talking. And Peter was like, there's just no story anymore. There's no narrative. There's no storytelling. It's all simply to just drive impulses 
and to increase like those dopamine hits, right? So it's funny, the editing is slick, the sound bites are clever and quippy, uh, it's like Vine, Vine-sized or TikTok-sized video things. And listen, I'm not shitting on this because I'm on TikTok and I'm, I'm into this sort of thing. But the question is, is, is there like a generational rift between traditional storytelling and then what we might be able to even say with Mortal Kombat? Like maybe Mortal Kombat's narrative elements are kind of hidden in the background in favor of these emotional hits. Like the sound design I thought was really cool with regards to the fight scenes it really like sparked me and it like whenever uh, whenever like when I was cleaning my room up and stuff like that it would like pull me back in and I'd look over towards, and then I'd be back in it again so there was something about like sound affect dopamine like excitement waking from my anesthetized state there's something interesting about maybe what the future of media is doing more so than what previous stages did and maybe that's why a lot of people are finding it to be hard to connect with it because they're still stuck in like a I just want like a linear narrative just give me like two people struggling about a some sort of human conflict, you know, the great conflicts of uh, of storytelling between like like humanity and nature, or humanity versus human, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of thing, or, or you know, uh, person versus self, all those things, right? So do you think there's something there that can kind of maybe like shed some light on some of the controversy here? I can, I can hear you. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, listen, the gods, the gods of the outworld are against us, and this is yeah. our earth realm champion trio you know fighting against them to transcend the limits in our own battle of more my arcana is going to be digital. being able to fix this stuff yeah i was going to say the my detectable. arcana is uh desperate uh, hastily rebooting skype while uh trying to <laughs> chill out my dog um so no what i what i was going to say is that uh you know storytelling is in a constant state of evolution you know people wring their hands about the deaths of the, the the death of cinema every year there's you know a new think piece out uh, whether it's from uh spielberg or soderberg or uh, martin scorsese or you know whomever and i i understand the the sentiment because the idea of of what they perceive well soderberg less so but what they perceive as cinema in the like the christopher nolan or quentin tarantino like capital c sense that movies are to be shot on film and projected on film and enjoyed with an audience and and i love that and you know that's that's why i do what i do that's i think why we're all here today because we uh we we love capital c cinema um but if you look at like Austin, for example, we've referenced uh, your recent uh, semi-viral TikTok experiment where you uh, played the pots and pans with your dick. Um, there, there may not be a whole lot of like meaning to delve from that, but it's it's consummate visual storytelling. Like you can you can follow the narrative. We see a subject coming around the corner. We we see <laughs> we see you slip. Uh, can you hear me now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, back we up see you slip. We see like a visual punchline sort of being paid off. I mean, there's just just because uh, you know the storytelling on something like TikTok or Vine or Instagram is more economical doesn't mean it isn't storytelling. You know, it may be less ambitious, it may be uh, less auspicious. But I, I I am really excited when I see a lot of videos floating around out there that this is the uh, indicate someone has this incredible grasp of, of storytelling on a, on just a natural and organic level. And that, that I think is pretty hard to teach. And it's kind of cool to see so many kids teaching themselves the basic, uh, the basics of, of visual vocabulary and storytelling just with the phones in their pockets. I kind of like it. I am, I am amazed. I'm amazed at the talent 
that is out there on TikTok. Like, right? Like, I'm I'm in my 30s, so I'm like considered old for TikTok. But man, I every time I go through there, I'm actually amazed at how how people can master the tools of editing. Like, I, I just had you know a friend of mine today message me. She's uh, she's a photographer, and she was like, like, what video editing software are you doing? And and everyone they don't understand. That you have to learn these new languages. And I was like, yeah, it is a new friggin' language to learn these things. And we have people who are like seven to twelve years old who are already mastering this form of digital editing and like. Uh, like putting clips together and 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 doing like uh, remi- re- like remixes and stuff like that and mishmashing things like that's a very high level form of creativity you know yeah and they they were weaned on that vernacular in the same way that you know the film school brats were were weaned on uh, you know Akira Kurosawa Super and John Ford shooting and, on, exactly. and the way that you know J.J. Abrams was raised on uh, Amblin Entertainment. I mean, all of this, all of this stuff is kind of like transitive, and it's it's really neat to see people picking up that ball and reiterating on it. I think, yeah, I totally agree with the, what you guys are saying, and, I, and I'm glad that people are. I don't think we have a problem with with people getting into new and different ways to tell stories that are cinematically and stuff. I think, like y'all are saying, TikTok is a perfect example of that. People will will watch anything if it's. So, funny or shocking or surprising but i don't think that any of this really applies to this movie mortal Kombat. i do think it is a badly told story at the end of the day <laughs> and the whole point of the whole reason it's a uh, purpose for its being is just the cool violent action you're either into that you know or not and and that's where i think scorsese you know when he brings up stuff like it's it's an amusement park ride it, it, that's really what he's talking about is that it's it's you're less going to have a story you know move you with uh, uh and having uh through characters than you're coming for the spectacle essentially is what he's saying you know you're coming for a specific reason like the fight the violence and and this movie i think delivers pretty good on that you know uh, uh okay yeah. let's talk a little bit about this let's talk about the violence then ryan are you, you're a big martial arts love it. film love fan, it right yeah. so so how does this film stack up like what makes a good martial arts film and how does this stack up well, what makes a good martial arts film? It's pretty visceral. It's just like you're watching it. And you're like, fuck yeah, that was cool. You know, like like it's very <laughs> not intellectual at all. You know, like like uh, uh, that's the best part. Uh, uh, but um, obviously, there's you know people who are actually uh, you know I I I'm not people who are actually into martial arts and the the mechanics of it, which I am not. I, I cannot if I cannot tell you the different styles if, if you know and say oh that's judo or that's kung fu that's karate. Taekwondo. It, it, I'm sorry. It all looks like fighting to me, but I still like just like it, you know. Uh, uh, and yeah. And but one thing about this movie uh, that me and my friend uh, Greg were talking about, there is a rope at the beginning in that first awesome fight scene. There's a cool, you know, he has a ro- a knife, a rope with a knife on it, and he's and that yes. is rarely in movies where you see somebody swinging around a rope with a knife on it and make it look that cool. That was a cool rope yeah. with a knife on it scene, I would say, for a, for a martial arts a film. Take on the flying guillotine. Yeah, I, I think what makes a great martial arts film is, um, yeah, I mean, you may have come to expect this from me by now, but it's the same thing that makes a great movie in general or great action movies, um, which is that 
you use action to develop character, you use action to tell the story, and I think there are moments in this film where that's that's on display. I I think that first sequence that first sequence that we've referenced a few times is a perfect example of of using action to develop character. Um, you know, Jackie Chan is the master of this. Like so much of so much of his movies and his characterizations in them, and he's he's a disciple of Buster Keaton, who I think is just uh, you know. The, the the cream of the crop when it comes to developing character through action and uh it, you you see that um as kind of i'm trying to think of someone who's done it as well as they do you know edgar wright actually does it really well with with um using the camera to communicate character you know his his movies uh while often action heavy aren't the same kind of action as a, a buster keaton or a jackie chan but i always uh i really appreciate when uh you know Cinema to me is my preferred art form. It's my, my, my favorite art form because it is all the art forms together. There, there is drama, there is music, uh, there's composition and sound and lighting, there's dance, there's movement, there's physicality. It's just all of the above. Like if, if you can dream it, you can film it. And I, I think that there is uh, a tendency in this film to sort of vacillate between those those things that you you get a few scenes like for example uh, Kano and Sonya Blade's fight is another good example of this and it calls to mind um, Daryl Hannah versus uh, Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume Two uh, the the big fight in the trailer um, you have a clear sense of who these characters are what they mean to each other and they're not just there to fight they actually want something from each other and that's at the basis of of any good narrative is just conflict what the character wants what the character needs how they're going to uh, what what tactics they're going to use to realize their objectives like those are just the basics of storytelling and i i think they pull it off well in a lot of fight scenes in this and that's why it's such a bummer why at the end it kind of seems perfunctory how they just go well everybody's gonna fight now just fuck you you fuck off to that bridge and you guys fuck off to over there and uh you know we'll, we'll yeah. get back together in the ice palace so we can take on the blue dude yeah, it does feel like there's something different when you think about like what Jackie Chan is doing, which is much more of a choreographed dance and elements of, of physical comedy um, than I'm just simply going to rip your skull out, which, which this film is definitely more on that latter that latter end of the spectrum, right? Not that there isn't crossover and that there's no dance and that there's no choreography. Of course, of course there is. But it's the intent behind it, right? It's it's what is driving it. And I feel like the when you watch a film like Rumble in the Bronx, for example, the thing that makes those... I mean, there's it's just action scene after action scene and they are long action scenes. And you could, you could be tricked into thinking, oh, it's really light on story. But I actually think that the way the, – the reason that Jackie Chan is so brilliant is because all of the dancing and the choreography are more like physical expressions of the same journey that the character is on, right? Rather than here's a story, oh, a pause, a fight. And then now let's go back to the story because that obstacle was accomplished. It's almost like you're on a path and then they step off the trail for a second to go to a lookout and then they get back on the trail, right? Whereas a Jackie Chan film is like the lookouts are interwoven into the path rather than having to step off the trail for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Fights in an action movie should operate the way that mu- musical numbers operate in a, a musical, which is... You, oh, there's like a big crescendo and... 
Yeah, you, know, you get to a point yeah. where there is no other choice but to fight. Or in, in the terminology of a musical, you, you get to a point emotionally where you can no longer express yourself in the, you know, the common tongue. You have to sing. Something, something new to this universe has to come out of you. And speaking of Edgar Wright, I think in uh, Scott Pilgrim, he does that really well. Like, they treat those fight yeah, scenes like musical numbers where no, no one looks at each other after witnessing a fight scene in the same way no one looks at each other in a musical after they've done this big choreographed number and goes, wow, that was weird, huh? Wasn't that? <laughs> it just kind of came out of us out of nowhere. It's just like, you know, there's a universe where people express each other through these supernatural fights and you're either with it or you're not and to uh uh finalize the jackie chan comparison uh to me uh it's the creativity of his fight scenes too where not only are they expressing yeah every single beat is expressing his character but it's like you're like you look at his surroundings and uh and he sets stuff up and you're like wow he, he uses his uh every single thing the environment to not only make a funny uh, uh, karate move, but then also, like you're saying, it expresses his character in some way. Um, mm. So yeah, and I wish Mortal Kombat did more of making, that. Oh, yeah, that's all. Sure. Yeah, com- communicating that, that sense of personality through the fights and not just a sense of, like, whose move is whose move. I will give them credit. I thought the, the part where uh, I, I think it's Liu Kang kind of, like, spams Kano when they're practicing. He, he does the the little like ground leg sweep three times in a row in the same way that you might with, with your buddy who's a noob or whatever. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Jackie, Jackie Chan and, and, uh, and Buster Keaton are, are, are so great at doing that thing of like, they're, they're just perennial underdogs and they find all of these incredible ways through, through the composition and storytelling to, to communicate that. And one that comes to mind is a, a short film that Buster Keaton made called cops. It's a really famous uh, short and it's probably easily accessible because I think it's in the public domain and there's one scene where there's a long ladder that is balanced on a fence and there's a group of cops on both sides of it trying to pull him down because he's just sitting in the direct <laughs> middle and he's kind of trying to evade them at first but then when he realizes they're essentially working against each other he just like takes a seat and chills out and and it's one of those great moments in movies to me at least because it, it communicates everything you need to know about this, that while he's the underdog with regards to the numbers, he has that sort of like Bugs Bunny cleverness. He has an edge over the uh, the competitor. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of be nice to to see how that sort of craftiness or that environmental stuff would play into uh, to more of these fights in Mortal Kombat. I think the trailer fight does it to a certain extent just because that's such a confined location, but I love those fights like in uh, in The Bourne Identity and those those movies where it's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to beat the shit out of you with this book because that's what I have here. Like, that's, that's another example of what Jackie Chan does so well is just like, well, I have like this pot lid or whatever. Like I, I love environmental stuff like that. And I think there are some creative aspects of this movie, but a lot of the fight scenes are just kind of uh, built around like what's going to get us to the recognizable fatality from the video games, you know? And I wish they had just kind of gone their own way a little bit more. Yeah. This is what happens when you treat something just purely instrumentally. Like you get through the thing so you can get to the thing, right? It's treating it as a means to an end. And this is never ideal when you're trying to, I don't know, be expressive or to make any kind of connection, right? Like what ultimately seems to be a richer way of of living is treating things as goods in themselves. So when Jackie Chan uses the pot or the environmental thing or when Jason Bourne uses the pen as the weapon, the reason that's so cool is, yeah, there's still a goal to defeat this other person, 
but it's not just purely instrumental. There's something valuable about every moment uh, that that person is living in that world. Yeah. It makes the environments into characters in a way Come where alive. this movie, the the environments are just backdrops the way they and are in the video games, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You know, you brought yeah, up yeah. Rumble in the Bronx, and I think, I, I can't remember if it's that one, or I think it's in Rumble in the Bronx. There's a sequence that's built around like a bunch of discarded refrigerators and yeah in the warehouse you, you get this sense that yeah that stuff yeah, is yeah. just like occurring to him in the moment and that's the same one with the pinball yes. machines that they're like pushing into each other and i remember him like swinging that freezer door on the top of the yeah. refrigerator into somebody's face and just like cold cocking them into a, a full like bicycle kick and there's there's so much cool environmental stuff in there that you know it ryan when when you were talking about it earlier it's it takes so much work and effort to make something look that natural and that effortless. And if you watch the behind the scenes stuff of him working with his crew, like they'll do a, a, a Christopher Nolan or, or David Fincher or Stanley Kubrick amount of takes just so that he can kick this thing in just the right angle to bounce off someone else's head and then uh, finish the scene with like a, a quick look, you know, that, that really sells the moment rather than just being <laughs> impressed with himself, which is what most of us would do. <laughs> okay, here, before, before we uh, kind of start to, to wind down the episode, the title of this podcast is Show Me the Meaning. So, Ryan, yes. what is the meaning? What is the meaning of the Mortal Kombat reboot? The meaning is that uh, life is a bitch and that at any moment... <laughs> You can, <laughs> and that you're, there is suffering. You're, people are going to get annihilated. Shit's going to happen. You could, at any moment, you can get ta- a, moral, a dragon tattoo and be enveloped in this um, insane Mortal Kombat experience. And what are you going to do? How are you going to react? And are you going to stoop down to Kano's level and be a piece of shit? Or are you going to rise up against it and, you know, uh, uh, hang out with your homies and try to take down... The bad guys. That's kind of what this reboot is about. And it's also about making a ton of money for HBO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Raymond, what do you media. think? What is, what is this? What is I, the I meaning? Mean, I think on its, on its basis level, this is a, a movie about how people are... I mean, this is going to sound sappy, but when you're left with something like this, you kind of have to reduce it a little bit to, to find the heart. And I, I think this is a movie about people discovering that they are stronger together than maybe they are as individuals. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. you know, you bring up Kano Ryan. He's a a perfect example of someone who is uh, such an individualist. He's so driven by his ego. You know, he earned this brand, whether or not he earned it, you know, and and Sonya resents that because she she feels she has, you know, put in the legwork for this. Um, And like... I think there's some interesting stuff there. I mean, is it is it schlocky? Sure. Is it uh, oversimplified? Sure. But I I do like the notion of uh, you know I I turned to my girlfriend at one at one point when we were watching this and I was like I don't if I, if I didn't get that fucking thing I'd be happy as hell. I don't want some guy chasing me around and trying to stab me with an ice pick. Like I'm not I'm not interested in this. It's like it this follows. is yeah well sure yeah but this this movie is about. Uh, uh, what's the? I, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing the the quote that you know. Uh, sometimes uh, people choose to be leaders, and sometimes leaders are chosen by a, a moment or by circumstances. And in some ways, that's this movie, you know. Um, and and 
that's a lot of like scrappy underdog movies. Like I could say the same thing about Rocky. I could say the same thing about Lord of the Rings. Like it's it's a tried and true story trope. But um, there are times in this movie where I, I think it's mostly effective. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, let's jump into the mailbag here uh, before we send everybody away and uh, think about what we're going to look at next week. If you want, you can give us a call. You can call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. And you can leave us a voicemail, either commenting on Mortal Kombat or anything in our back catalog, of course, asking us a question, and we'll address it on the air. Uh, Of course, if you don't want to leave a voicemail or you can't leave a voicemail, you can also email us, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. So the first thing I want to do is that Albert wrote in about Nomadland, and first thing was basically said, hey, you did all this discussion, and I'll talk about what his his question was about Nomadland in particular, but the last thing I wanted to know was is what do we think should have won the Oscar? Like, do we think Nomadland should have won? What was the best picture and, and, and what are our thoughts on that? So, Raymond, I'll let you go first. And then, Ryan, since you weren't here last week, I'll give you a second to just have a thought. And then go ahead. Raymond, what do you think? I think the Academy should be men and women of their words uh, and not take the coward's way out by uh, nominating movies that did not play in theaters for uh, a full week or whatever the stupid regulations are. So, Even uh, in a I pandemic believe- year? Yes, even in a pandemic year. I would have tuned... I haven't, I, I haven't watched the Oscars in over a decade. I 100% would have tuned in if Jim Carrey were nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Sonic the Hedgehog and Invisible Man won Best Picture, which it, it, it fucking should have. I, I, may, I may be a little bit biased here, but I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, so, yeah, I, I like honestly, I'm not even being glib. Out of the stuff that was nominated, I really appreciated Judas and the Black Messiah. I loved Sound of Metal. That was probably my favorite movie of the year. I think it's a bummer that Steve McQueen's, um, uh, his, his five-film experiment on uh, Amazon, the Small Axe series, wasn't uh, viable for Oscar contention because I think Lover's Rock and Mangrove were both phenomenal films. Um, so out of the out of the nominated ones, I would probably say uh, Sound of Metal or Judas and the Black Messiah. But according to the Oscars' own rules, I would say Invisible Man. Look at that. That's a hot take. Ryan? Okay, I'm going to go my favorite movie of the year. And there wasn't many movies I saw last year, and I usually see a shit ton of them. But I love the documentary Boys State, if anyone saw that oh, movie. Oh, good flick. That was my favorite movie that should win the best picture as far as I'm concerned. And if that movie doesn't get best picture, then I'd go with Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg comedy. That shows that's you what picture. kind of a year it was when that, <laughs> that is the, the movie I think should, is runner-up. Uh, I mean, so was it, was it just a bad year for films? No, I think like, it, 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 a lot of movie, most movies didn't get released, right? Isn't that the... Like like they held back and uh, and then but then you're right and even with streaming there wasn't many I loved from last year Palm Springs so is there then is there kind of an asterisk like you you know how they have like short like sports seasons and there's like an asterisk they're like oh but it was a lockout season so is there like an asterisk against Nomadland's win here. I don't know. I mean, it feels like the kind of movie that could have been in contention in any year. Um, yeah. You know, it's... And it's pretty awesome. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting movie. And um, uh, Ryan, you brought up Palm Springs. I think that's another movie that... Uh, it, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, wasn't it? Or did it did it get I any nominations remember. at all? That seems like the kind of movie that, because it... 
it was such a hit on Hulu and it came out early in the pandemic and weirdly kind of spoke to what a lot of people were experiencing on lockdown with, you know, having that sort of Groundhog Day Mm -hmm. effect. That might be an interesting movie to do on the podcast, Austin. Cool. I'm keen. Okay. Last thing I want to do is I want to read an email from uh, Donnie because this is like one of my favorite emails that I've gotten. And it actually has a really interesting suggestion. And I just kind of want to put it out there and we can let's, we'll, we'll let it percolate. But I think this is really interesting. So Donnie writes, I'm a young listener, just turned 16, and I really love the way you guys break down and explain movies. It gives me a lot of perspective because I really don't understand or pick up on things in movies like 2001, A Space Odyssey, or There Will Be Blood, even though I like them a lot. I just don't know anyone who likes those movies either. So listening to people talk about it and going in depth is super helpful. I don't know how you all feel about bringing in newer people on the podcast or how that works, but I thought it would be really cool if you brought in a younger person. I think that the differences in age and generations would be really interesting perspectives to hear from, especially with older movies or movies that allow room for interpretation. I thought that would be interesting. I think this is a really cool cool idea. idea. What if we brought in, like, is there, is there like a, there's got to be, I just don't know, like a Zoomer film reviewer. That Let's would try love... to get Lights Camera Jackson. Who's, who, do you I, know who that is? I don't know who this is, but let's freaking do it, and let's get Lights a Zoomer Cam- on Lights here. Lights Camera Jackson is this this guy who's been reviewing movies since he was like eight. And, <laughs> and he's, you know, he was, he was brought onto like some red carpets here and there as like a novelty, and he sort of put his foot in his mouth on social media a handful of times, but... Uh, that's uh, that's lights, baby. Lights, camera, Jackson. He's. I think he's uh, the world's youngest film critic and one of our finest for sure. <laughs> well, perfect. I say we just throw that out there and consider that because I think that's fantastic. And either way, I love that young people can enjoy this. I know a lot of like high school film teachers actually play the podcast for their students, and oh, so um, I love it. I-, I love. I love that we wow, can connect with, this, with I didn't the Zoomer generation. Um, anyway, before we get out of here, where can people find you on the internet, Raymond? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Sweet. And Ryan? Uh, Ryan's Shorts on YouTube. Going to be releasing a editing tutorial here uh, this week. So uh, check on by and, you know, it's right up Wisecrack's Alley. And thanks for that, la- that, that last email. was awesome. I, I would love to have a younger person on the podcast and do it. Yeah. Compare and contrast notes. Austin, we're... Where can we see you play drums with your dick? Yeah. Oh, God. Right First of all, I apologize today. for the, the hammering <laughs> yeah. has just started. So, um, But, yeah, go to my YouTube channel. It's just my name, Austin Hayden. I just did a video on Marvel films and Disney films and how they're financial assets. I did a video last week on Black Mirror, um, and I'm doing videos every single week. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Insta. And then find me on TikTok, Austin.Hayden. My shit's fire. Anyway, yeah. Ryan, send us out of here, brother. Finish the podcast! Slash him!